Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Good morning. Um, you know, each week I may come up here, I may go down there. Th- this weekend I'm up here for those that uh, wrote in that I was vertically challenged and they couldn't see me very well. So thank you. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but uh, th- th- this weekend is a, it's really a, it's a good weekend. And I'll, I'm going to let you know right up front, going through the Beatitudes has just been an incredible blessing for me. I, uh, I hope it is for you. We're studying in a series called The End of Me, Where Real Life Begins. I also need to say that this beatitude, the one that we're going to look at today, the second one, is probably the most difficult one for me to go into, to talk about. And, uh, and, and, and you'll see why in just a little bit, because it really deals with the state of being. It deals with the realities, uh, the harsh realities of life. And, uh, and, and what we do is we need to talk about those. We, we need to share what's going on in our lives. We need to be able to do this. And this beatitude really presents that opportunity to us. And so what I want you to do with me, if you would, is if you have your Bible today, open it to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 12 together. And what I'd like to do today is I'd like to make a connection for you. I want to connect the teaching of the Beatitudes to the next few verses that follow the Beatitudes. Oftentimes, we may overlook the progression that Jesus is leading us in. We know that this is the Sermon on the Mount. We know that he introduces this sermon through the Beatitudes. But then when you look a little further in verses 13 through 16, you recognize that Jesus is getting at something in our lives. He's He's preparing us for something. He's doing something in our heart, and we've talked about this. He's doing it kind of in an upside-down way as far as what we would see. Uh, What we see and understand as the Beatitudes are really counterintuitive. It goes against our... Our nature it goes against our flesh, and, and, and yet Jesus teaches this way, but he's doing something in order for us to be prepared to live in the world that we live in, even with the difficult realities, even with the hardships that we have to live with and we have to deal with. Jesus is saying, I want you to see something. I want you to understand something about your, really your goal or your mission in life. And, uh, and, and that encourages me. It really encourages me when I read this. So let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning at, beginning at verse 1. It says, and seeing the multitudes, and we've rephrased that just a bit, and seeing his neighbors, because that's really where he spent much of his time. He went on a mountain, and, and when, he had seated his, when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown or obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Now, I want you to notice this. I want you to see the connection to the next few verses. And, and especially when, it, when Jesus is teaching and he's calling us, or at least our influence, our presence, salt and light. That's, that's where he goes next. And, and he, he's saying something here. He says, well, how, uh, if the salt loses its, its flavor, how, how, is it, how does it help? It's, it, it's a, no good. Uh, you have to throw it out. And then he says, how does a light really do what a light's supposed to do when it's under a bushel or a bowl? How, how is it supposed to shine? And then you'll notice the last verse in that passage, in that, in that segment, is verse 16. It says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What Jesus is doing here is he's preparing you through the Beatitudes. He's dealing with your heart. He's dealing with attitudes of life. And he's saying, when you, when you, when you follow me and, and you, you obey these teachings, then what you do is you prepare yourself to be salt and light. See, I, I don't so, see how you can be the salt and light that you're called to be if we just really don't understand what Jesus is teaching in the Beatitudes. So he's connecting those. He's saying, this is how you maintain your influence, by living this way. This is how you maintain that light and that light shining in a dark world. This is how you do it. And, and, he, and he explains to us. He teaches us through the, through the Beatitudes. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I've, um, I've had this happen to me. I've, have you ever been in the middle of an awesome dream and something wakes you up? I mean, you're in the middle. I don't know what an awesome dream is for you. Maybe it's flying monkeys and eating sugar cereal or, you know, I don't know. I don't know what your awesome dream is. I know, I know what mine is, and it usually involves some athletic event. I mean, it always is around some sporting event, especially when I was younger. I was either, either making a great play in baseball or running the winning touchdown of football. And, and then all of a sudden, you're in the middle of this, and, and, and for no reason, you seem to just wake up. Your dream is over. And you're in the middle of that dream and you're thinking, I, w- I want to keep that dream. So you, dream, you try really hard to go back to sleep, pick it up where you left off, but it's done. It's over. The awesome dream is just gone. And, and you're right in the middle and, man, you just can't get it back. I hate uh, being woken up in the middle of a great dream. But, but as parents, especially if you have young kids, it's part of the deal. It's just kind of what you have to live with. Your kids wake you up in the middle of the night. When my kids were little... They would just walk in and stand next to my bed and just stare at me. You know? They'd just stare at me. And, and I'd come to this kind of conscious awareness as someone was in the room. And I would open my eyes and there was this creepy kid just looking at me. I mean, hair sticking up, stuff running out of their nose. You know what I'm thinking? Hi, yo! And, um, and I, right out of a good dream. I mean, an, aw, you know, an awesome dream. Uh, there's, there's no worse way than to, to wake up from a dream like that with you, than with your kids staring at you. And I just want to go back to sleep. I mean, I want to go back to sleep. I want to score the touchdown. My dream team needs me. You know, all those kind of things in your fantasy world. But once you wake up from the dream, it, it's hard to get it back. The dream is over. You know, and I think there's a, a moment like this for all of us in life where... You wake up from the dream and you become aware that life is hard. You, you wake up and you see and recognize the harsh realities of, of your circumstances, of the things that you're facing, the things that you're, that you're dealing with. And you're hit with a real life that comes at you. You really never go back to sleep. You never pick up the dream again. 
For some people, they wake up from their dream pretty early in life when mom and dad sits them down and introduces them to a word, divorce. Some wake up from their dreams when they get a phone call in the middle of the night and the person on the other end says, there's been an accident, you need to come to the hospital. Some people wake up from their dreams when they're called into an office. The person on the other side of the desk says, you know, the job that you've been holding down for this many years has been eliminated. We face things like that where life hits us and we just wake up. Every dream that comes to an end is marked by loss. The people lose something and all of us lose something. It's inevitable. Loss is part of life. Loss is inevitable. You may lose a job. You may lose money. You may lose relationship. You may lose your health. But loss will happen. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. And even in the, the words of Jesus, he says, you know, when you come and you're into this life, that, that, that hard things are going to happen. There's trouble in this life. And that Jesus explains that reality of life. Loss is part of life. You either had it, you're in the middle of it, or it's still coming. And so the question is, in those moments of loss, how do we get through that? How do we, how do we deal with that? Ernest Hemingway was sitting with some of his friends and uh, his author friends, his writer friends, and, you know, they were smoking cigars and having a drink and just talking and enjoying each other's company and exchanging stories, whatever stories those guys could tell. I'm sure they were amazing. But they were all sitting there, and at the end of this conversation, the other authors bet Ernest Hemingway that he could not write a six-word short story. It's impossible. Can't do it. He took them up on their bed. He reached across the table. He grabbed a a napkin and he wrote on the napkin, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. You know, your, your six words may be different, but all of us have those kinds of words that tell our story in life. A story where the dream comes to an end and so at that point you, you wake up and you see the realities. Jesus has this incredible promise that he gives us in Matthew chapter 5 verse 4. It says, blessed are those that mourn for they shall be comforted. Does that even make sense? I mean, when you hear those words, I mean... How how do you arrange that in your thinking, in your life, in your circumstances? Blessed are those that mourn. Um, You have to remember that in this series, The End of Me, we're looking at the Beatitudes, which really are the upside-down teachings of Jesus. That these teachings are really uh, counterintuitive to our nature. Last week, we talked about blessed are, are the poor. And if we're just really thinking about that, we usually don't put those words together. We usually would say, well, it's the opposite. Blessed are the rich. That blessed and rich, they really go together. But not blessed and poor. Jesus comes to us and he says here, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we say, well, blessed are the self-reliant. Blessed are the independent. 
Blessed are the self-sufficient. That's the way that we calculate things. It's the way that we frame things in our life. We don't look at things like Jesus looks at things. Jesus says, blessed are those who realize that they can't help themselves and they ask God for help. Blessed are you that very moment you ask for help. That's what Jesus says to us. Blessed are those who recognize that they're bankrupt, that they're broke, that they're, they're depleted, that they're destitute in spirit. What Jesus is saying through these Beatitudes is he's saying there is space created in your life through these difficulties. And it's up to you to how you fill that space. He's saying that when you're poor, there's space there. When you mourn, there is space there. But what he's encouraging what he's inviting is that we would fill that space with his spirit with him and he's he's saying you have an opportunity and if you allow God to fill that space then you will be blessed that's what he's saying and I I realize that that one of the things that eliminates me from blessing in this fast-paced life is that I don't take time and give God space. Just give him space, whatever that is. Let him fill that space with his presence. I don't want to have space. I want that space closed. I want to control my life. I want to get to where I'm going, and I want to do it now. That leaves no space for God to fill. Maybe you can identify with me. Uh, yesterday or the day before yesterday, I was headed out to uh, to go to a meeting. I was uh, you know on that stop clock where you're just you know wanting to get out and and you you know you would know it that you would get out there and the day that you're you're running a little bit behind, you get stuck behind you know a dump truck. You get the, the lights are not in your favor and, and and you're just thinking, well, the world's out to get me. You know, have you ever? Man, don't they know? Doesn't that car in front of me know that I'm important? And that I need to get to my meeting. Don't, doesn't that car know? Why don't they know that? And that's the way we start thinking. And it's at that moment that God's spirit says, hey, you know what? You need to slow down and give me a little space. Um, so I can fill it. You know, again, almost missed that lesson. Almost went flying right by it. And the Lord just said, slow down and take what you get. You know what I did? I thought, wow, I, I don't want to miss this. I just drove all the way to my appointment in the right lane. Because I'm thinking, God, I, I don't want to miss this. I, I really don't. I don't want to. Have you created space for God to fill in your life? Where, where, where he will just come and fill that? Or are we moving so quickly? Are we medicating so quickly? Or what are we doing with that space that, that we're saying, let's just, just fill it, just fill it. I don't, I don't want it to, I don't want any space. But when you create, when that space is created, the Bible says you let God fill that space, you will be blessed. That he wants to bless you. Look for those opportunities. I know you'll be blessed. And I, I have to admit, that this, as I did earlier, this, uh, this beatitude is just a struggle. There, there are probably a few reasons for me. Um, this is not just a beatitude that's counterintuitive, like I see the other ones. This is a, a beatitude that is a contradiction. Goes beyond counterintuitive for me. It's like, blessed are those that mourn. It's like saying happy are the sad. 
Happy are the unhappy. What does Jesus say to us here? You know, there are a few ways that mourning is understood when you study Scripture. First of all, there's, there's place in Scripture where mourning the tragedies that do happen in life, that that's real, and that we take time and do that, and we understand that. The loss that comes with life. Jesus said, blessed are you when you mourn, for you will be comforted. So how do I play that out? What does that look like in real time for me? What does it look like in real time for you? Maybe, maybe it looks like this. Blessed is the mother whose husband died early and left behind four children for her to raise on her own. Blessed is the man who lost his job and is just about ready to lose his house. Blessed is the addict in recovery whose wife left him. Blessed is the wife whose husband walked out on her for someone else. Blessed is the child with a disability that makes them feel different than everyone else. That's real life. Blessed are those who mourn. What does this really mean? What's this saying to, to you and me? In our study, Jesus takes our assumption of a blessed life and he flips it. And how we define the circumstances of life is not how Jesus defines the circumstances of life. If you read this beatitude, especially and we put it and pressed it into our own culture, it may say something like this. Blessed are those whose dreams come true. Blessed are are those who have everything go right for them. Blessed are those who are on the fast track to success. Now, those, those people, they are really the blessed people in life. You know, I, I, I don't really know how this happens. I cannot explain to you the miracle that takes place that Jesus is actually describing. I don't, I don't know how to articulate to you the depth of mourning that that you might go through to get to this place where you understand you are comforted by God. I don't know how to articulate that. I don't know how to tell you that with my head. And I don't think it's meant to be passed on intellectually. I I think this is meant to be passed on spiritually. It's something that you grasp in your heart. It's something that you understand deep in your spirit that you've gone through something so deep. You've gone through something so dark and it was birthed through the tears of night. It was the dark night of the soul. I can't fully explain it, but there is a blessing that comes in mourning. I've witnessed this in my life, and I've seen this in many of your lives over these low many years. I've watched something happen that to me is probably the miracle of all miracles. You may have other miracles you put in categories and rate them and rank them. But for me to see someone walk through a devastating tragedy. For someone to go through this time of mourning. And come out on the other side with a peace that passes all understanding. With a deeper sense of God's compassion and love. Not only for their lives but for those around them. I don't get it. But I know it happens. I can't explain it. 
but I know it happens. I can't articulate it, but I know it happens because I've seen it. I've witnessed this, that there are peace, there is a peace and there is an understanding that's only come through tears. That God's presence becomes more dear and real to us and only comes through tears when we mourn. The gift of tears. But there's this tendency that when we go through something like this and even when we are around people like this, we want to push away. We don't want to get too close because we might catch it. That's why when you talk to people who have gone through mourning, it's awkward for others to come around just because I don't know what to say to them. Why? Because it's so deep. But that when you walk through something like this, again, the tendency is to maybe push away from God because you might blame God. You might see God responsible. You might think God's fingerprints are all over it. And by the way, they are, just not in the way you think they are. It's all perspective. Loss will happen. How we respond to loss is our choice. But when we draw near to him, we find a blessing in the most surprising places. We find these blessings that come to our life through tears that we could have never comprehended, could have never apprehended, could have never understood before. Probably the best example that I, that I see in scripture is the, the story of the great man Job. I mean, we don't even like reading there. I mean, you know, we go through our devotions and we, we, we skip that one and, and the genealogies. You know, we, we, got, we got the rest of the Bible, but nah, I don't know if I want to go to Job. Uh-uh, a little too painful. And the book starts out with telling us about Job's life and how blessed his life is. He has uh, uh, over 10,000 livestock. Uh, he, has, um, he has a wonderful family, a, a, a beautiful place. His kids have places. It's like this hacienda. It's beautiful. And then all of a sudden, almost in the blink of an eye, he has these messengers coming to him. And these messengers, read it, they're overlapping. Before one gets out with bad news, another one's coming with bad news. Before that one gets out, another one's coming with bad news. And the sky is falling. And at the end, what you realize is that Job has lost his livestock. He's lost his family. He's lost his health. He hasn't lost his wife, but he might have wanted to. Because she came to him and she turned on him and said, you know what you need to do? Best way to get rid of this problem is you curse God and you die. And he says, no, no, no. And you go on this, this, this journey of sorrow and grief and mourning with Job and you go all the way through. <clears throat> and you get to chapter 42, and in there there's a verse that just has to pop out at you if you've ever mourned, if you've ever dealt with hardship. It just has to stand out in bold print. And here's what it says. And it's Job speaking. He says, My ears heard about you before all this happened. But now my eyes have seen you. There is something that happened that went so intimate, so deep, 
into his heart, the only way that he could describe it to us is I knew about him. I heard the testimonies. I, I even got a little sideswipe. God brought a little to, to me. But now, now, my eyes have seen him. My eyes have seen God. What an amazing thing transpires in his life that God comes into the space created by our loss and he fills it with himself. That we all experience loss, but those who follow Jesus find it's not in vain. There are one or two ways that you can deal with the wounds of loss. But you will deal with them. You can deal with them in one way. One way is that they just remain open, festered wounds. They just remain in anger and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. Those are wounds that, that, you were, that, that came to you and the, the story is true and it's right and all those things did happen. But then what do I do with all of this? The other way that you deal with those wounds is through time and through this journey. Your eyes see God. And you say to him, I don't want these wounds to be like this. God, make them sacred wounds. Make them wounds where I know that you reached and you touched it. And then it becomes a sacred wound. Why? Because your eyes have seen him. And he's touched you. You've let him in. And there is that amazing healing. And I understand this is hard. That's another reason this is a difficult one to talk about. Because there's pushback. It's like, I don't know. It's not easy. We, we try to avoid mourning. We are entertainment junkies. We try to medicate our tears. We try to keep our tears away. But there's a blessing from God that only comes through your tears. That's the only way that you'll get this blessing. It's through your tears. There was a season a few years ago in my life that seemed as though I was dealing with one loss after another. And... Uh, they just, like a wreck on a freeway, just piled up. When I was getting a call here and a call there and a call, they call, they call you. I, I love, listen, I love my friend, Chaplain Bill Roberts, but not at two in the morning. Where he's on the other end and he always, he'll start this way. Ron, this is Chaplain Bill. I don't want this, God. I don't want it. I don't want to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I, I love those people. I, I don't want to go there. And I ran. And I hid. And I medicated. I don't want to go there. Why, why do you want to go there? <clears throat> what, what was happening is it was all piling up. And I didn't have time to mourn. And I was feeling the loss. Where does the guy who does the services mourn? And I was looking for that, 
that space. And I know God was making it for me, but I, I just wasn't paying attention. Where, where do you do that? God says, I will make a, I'll make a place. I'll create a space so that you can do that and you can deal with that in your life. And I'm so glad that God's done that. Gerald Setzer used to be a professor at Whitworth College in Spokane, Washington. And one day he was out with his family and they were driving on the freeway and in one instant he lost three generations of women in his life. He lost his mother, he lost his wife, and he lost his daughter. Uh, he, he walked away. Walked away from the accident unscathed. He walked away unhurt. And as he processed his mourning and his grief, he wrote this amazing book. It's called A Grace Disguised. Because that's really what it looks like. You, you, God, really? You're in this? I mean, come on. And he wrote this book called A Grace Disguised. And, and this is what it says. <clears throat> it says, a, a grace disguised plums the depths of our sorrows, whether due to illness or divorce or the loss of someone that we love. In coming to the end of ourselves, we can come to the beginning of new life. One marked by spiritual depth and joy and compassion and a deeper appreciation of the simple blessings of life. That, that's what we all understand to deal with the loss and tragedy of, of mourning something that we've lost and people have done this and they've helped me see the way. They've helped many of us see the way. We've been talking about the mourning that comes through loss and, and tragedy and that's necessary but let me say this. The Beatitudes talk about another kind of mourning as well. Talking about the spiritual state of our hearts and our relationship with God. That's really where Jesus is going with this. There's another way that mourn is used in scripture and it's not mourning the suffering, the pain, the trials of life. Instead, it's used to describe the grief and the broken heart over the sin of our lives. Over our own brokenness, our own sin. Mourning the sin in my life and the, the world around me. And that's the mourning Jesus is talking about here. Did you know that there is a direct connection between you mourning sin in your life and God's blessing in your life? Have you ever made that connection? Because usually we don't. We don't make that connection. We, we don't think about that. But, but there is something here that we could get a hold of. Something here that we can understand. That these two are directly related. It, and it's blessing that comes to our lives. King David realized that. Not at first. But he realized it. King David had sinned with Bathsheba. He went to bed with Bathsheba. They had a child from that relationship. And, and he also killed indirectly but he killed her husband Uriah and he stayed quiet he wasn't telling a soul what he had done and then God speaks to one of his good friends and tells him what's happened and this friend Nathan he comes to him and he says David I want to tell you a story can I tell you a story and David says sure he says listen this is what's going on there's this rich man and he owns a thousand sheep and, and his friend comes over and his friend says, hey, let's have a rack of lamb tonight. Can we do that? And he said, sure. And instead of this rich man going to his thousand sheep, he finds his neighbor who's poor with one sheep. He goes and he steals that sheep and he kills it and they eat that one sheep. 
David is incensed. He is angry. He says, who is that guy? I'll hang him. And Nathan said, thou art the man. You're the man. You've done that. And this begins a mourning process. And it's described in a couple places in the Psalms. One of the places that it's described is Psalms. Um, it's in Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, listen, listen to this. See if this works. Beginning of verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones grew old and through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged, I confess my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David found that through confession, through repentance, something happened in his life that changed. Something happened because he goes on in Psalm 51, which is the one we usually look at when we talk about David's sin and his repentance. It's Psalm 51, verse 17. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, he will not despise. Does that sound like the Beatitudes, doesn't it? Broken, poor, mourn, meek, all of these. These are things that God does not despise. Says this is the way that David had gone and began to break and began to confess. You want the blessing of God in your life? Jesus says then you need to mourn your sin and your brokenness. This is not how many of us do it. We don't, we don't do it this way. This isn't our natural response. We, we may apologize. We say we're sorry. We say we're sorry like we spilled a glass of water at a restaurant. Brokenness and confession and repentance is not apologizing. It's mourning. It's weeping that invites the blessing of God to just come in and fill your life. My apology addresses the audience, but a confession implies that there's been an, a change in my heart. And in Psalm 51, just a few verses before 17, verse 3, it says, David said, my sin is ever before me. Have you ever wondered the odd nature of that statement? What in the world is he saying? I thought God forgave. I thought God covered. I, and he does. David is not saying it because he feels condemned or he's feeling guilty. He's been forgiven. He's saying it because he never wants the pain of sin to leave his life. That is a wise man. Because you go and you sin and after a while, you get so far down the road from the pain of sin, you forget the pain, and that's called relapse. But if you say, like David said, and maybe we should pray this together, God, the pain of my sin is ever before me. That I don't live with my head down. I don't live as a victim. I don't, I don't live that way. But I'm acknowledging something. I need this I need God to remind me. And one of the ways God reminds us, number one on the list, pain. 
And that we would say, God, I don't want to get by this so far. I don't want to move down the road so far to where I forget the pain this caused. The pain that it brought to my life. An apology is an expression of regret. I'm sorry. Confession is an admission to fault. I'm sorry because I did wrong. David doesn't just apologize. What David does here is he mourns. Mourning is a voluntary brokenness. And we don't do that like that. We don't do it that way. Oftentimes it's to cover. It's to protect. I mean, you know, going and confessing what I've done. That's self-sabotage for crying out loud. I don't feel like that one today. <laughs> it's kind of like driving yesterday 85 miles an hour on the freeway and you know you broke the law and today you come to church, you see a police officer in the lobby and says, sir, I got to confess something. I was going 85 on the freeway. We don't do that. We don't. What we see here in David's life is he... He was addressed and he came and he said, God, I, I, I need you. Blessed are you when you grieve over your sin, not because you have no other choice, but because you understand that you've offended the holiness of God. Blessed are you when you are broken and you see what your sin has done to others. You know, that's part of my story. You look around and you get perspective and you see what your sin especially has done to the one that I love the most. Second to Jesus. And you get this healthy morning that comes in. It's a godly morning. It's a right morning. And the, the more you get perspective, the more you recognize what that violation was. And just in the middle of the day, out of nowhere, I did it the other day. Annette and I were in the living room. We were talking. And um, I just looked at her and I said, listen, and I'm going to say it like I said it. Would you forgive me for being a jackass? Might be good to say that to somebody. And you know what she said? This was like three, four weeks ago. She looked at me and she said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. She understood it wasn't, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She understood the mourning. She understood the tears that bought that statement. She understood that that happened when no one else was watching. Not in church, not at home. Doors closed. Pillow wet. morning listen your tears open the doors for God's blessing in your life the blessing of comfort didn't hit me till this service look at the word comfort what was the first description given to the Holy Spirit yeah you can almost put a capital C right in there blessed are those who mourn for they will receive capital C comforter wow the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this question. Have you cried over your sin lately? 
Because I, I don't know. I'm just not sure until we cry over our sins, until there's a sin, a sin that we commit and tears are shed, are we really in a place to be? Are we ready to be blessed by God? It's your brokenness and tears that you invite the blessing of God into your, into your home, into your marriage, into your friendships, into your church, into your family, into your work, into your business, into your school. That's the floodgate. That's how, this is hard for us. We don't, we don't want to talk about this. This is, this is hard. Even for us to do this, this is tough. There aren't many places that we're going to just sit down and talk about crying. I don't go to church to talk about crying. I go to church to celebrate. There is something to celebrate. Jesus forgave you of your sins. But he will pace you through the morning. Can, can you see the trajectory here? Can you see that he's pacing you through this morning that he will walk with you, that he will fill that space, that he will never leave you or forsake you because he knows that is the only way for you to find joy in the morning. It is the only way. You can find joy through a pill, a bottle, a relationship. You can try all you want, but it will run out. What he's saying is if you follow me through the shadow of the valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to bring you on this trajectory that when in the morning, when it comes, there will be joy in the morning. Your morning turns into dancing. That is the only way to have true joy and true mourning in this life that we live. Don't fool yourself otherwise. won't happen any other way. You can kick, you can scream all the way through. God says, I'm st- this is still the way. It's what James says. James says it this way, and a lot of people don't like James. Uh, they actually had to try to kick it out of the Bible because uh, it's too tough. You know, James is one of those bottom line guys that says, this is the way it is. I don't want that. But this is what he says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You see the trajectory? When you try to lift yourself up, it doesn't work. When God tries to lift you up, it is the best place. Isn't this an odd way to find happiness? This is a weird way to find happiness. Mourn? And I'm going to find happiness? Yes. Yes. Counterintuitive. Goes totally against your grain. Blessed are you when you are brokenhearted over your sin. You know, I was, both Annette and I were praying about our worship response today. As as we did last week, we came forward and we put, um, I am poor, I need help in, and we dropped it in these containers and we rang a bell. Bell indicates you, you, need, you need help. You need help. And um, you know, I don't want to do anything that, that I know the Lord isn't leading me to do or leading us to do. And today I'm going to ask that you do this, that you take out a piece of paper and that you would write on that paper, I repent of. I, I repent of. Whatever that is, I don't know. What, what, what do you have to fill in there? I, I repent of anger. I, I repent of self-righteousness. I, I repent of um, whatever. Whatever it is. And, and listen, have God show you that. Because sometimes 
a lot of times. We walk in denial. I'm not self-righteous. Yeah, you are now. (laughs) Take everything that comes your way and say, let me judge that by God's spirit. Is this what I've got to deal with? I repent of. Fold it up and then our worship time, you'll come forward. There's two two stations in the back and two stations in the front. And, And the second thing, you're probably wondering what this is all about. In the Old Testament, when it was a time to mourn, uh, they would wear sackcloth and put ashes on their forehead. It was a penal time. It was a time of repentance. And, and let me tell you what this represents. It was a, God was saying, you know what? You, you, you need to do something outwardly. You need to do something visibly that reflects what I want to do in your heart. And we've lost that. We've lost the, the meaningful symbols in our life today. We don't have places. See, we're going to get up and we're going to bust out somewhere and that's the way it's going to be. And we're, where is it? What God would do is he would say, I want you to set some time aside and mourn your sin. We do that if we really practice Lent, which starts March 5th, Ash Wednesday, and goes all the way to the Saturday before Easter. But we can start maybe Lent a little early. And that you would take this sackcloth and uh, maybe you'll tie it on your wrist like I did. You put it in your Bible. Keep it close to you. I don't, I don't know what, what's close to you, whatever that is. And walk through this week just saying, Lord, I want to repent of my sin. Because I can guarantee the one that you write on this will be good. And it'll be fine with God. But honestly, there's going to be more. What do we do with that? Where do we put that? What we want to do is say, Lord, I come to you and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear something visibly that re- reflects what you're doing in my heart. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. They're mourning the right things. You live in a society that does not mourn its sin. It laughs at its sin. You're part of it. How do we separate ourselves? How do we really look through the Holy Spirit in our own lives. I think this may help us. Would you bow your head for a moment? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. And <coughs> Father, we, um, we come to you. I, 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 say, I say to you, I say out loud, to my friends that are here today. This is probably one of the most difficult things to ever communicate. It's it's mourning. For me personally, it had to do with, it was so deep and sacred. How do you talk about that? How do you articulate that? How do you really explain the deep work of God in in one's life? So hopefully today what has happened is there's been an exchange, not an intellectual exchange today. We appreciate that when it happens. It's necessary. But today there's been a spiritual transaction that has happened from the pages of your word directly in our own heart. And Lord, that we wouldn't be looking around and saying, well, they should repent of this sin and they should repent of that sin. It is the ideal way to lose out on blessing because we're not looking at our own. Lord, today I don't want to look at anyone else's stuff. I got enough stuff on my own. 
Let me look at my stuff. And let me mourn that sin in the way that you've instructed me to so I will be blessed with the comfort of your Holy Spirit. Bless all of us here today. Comfort those who are mourning. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say together, amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.